0: You're listening to Solar Insiders, a fortnightly update on the ins and outs of the solar industry and what it means for consumers, with Renew Economy's editor Giles Parkinson and leading solar industry veteran Nigel Morris. Solar Insiders is brought to you by Solar Analytics, suppliers of intelligent solar monitoring, and SunWiz, the creators of the powerful PV cell software.
1: Hello and welcome to this latest episode of the Solar Insiders podcast. My name is Giles Parkinson. I'm the editor of Renew Economy and one step off the grid and the Driven EV website as well. And joining me, in fact, in my very presence is Nigel Morris, my co-host and from Solar Analytics. Nigel, um, you're almost too close for comfort. So awkward. (laughs) I don't know if I like being in the same room with you like this, mate, but let's give it a go. Mate, um... Just want to make one observation. We actually did the Energy Insiders podcast yesterday from uh, Edify Energy in uh, Manly, and. Hmm. They've got a bit of you.
2: Look, we're in the we're in the hub of where the, all the action is over here, mate. they are in the People's Republic of Ring.
1: We've <laughs> <laughs> got an independent. We've got the coalition government.
2: Oh, we're going to jump straight in because we can get it over and done in. with. Yes. I just I want to make an announcement. What's that? I'm getting out of solar. I'm going to work for a I'm
1: selling my electric bike. I'm going to get a V8. That's what the government wants, right? I think they do. They also want people like you to move to New Zealand because uh, I've just seen... I've just seen... It was funny, I was joking with a few people and um, I did an interview on Bay FM in Byron Bay last week and they said, well, what happens if the coalition government does win? I said, well, we all go to New Zealand. And I've just seen a story in the New Zealand Herald today and saying apparently the number of... um, visa applications has trebled in the last couple of days seriously and the number of inquiries about immigration to new zealand on google searches and things has risen tenfold (laughs) so i reckon by the time we do next you know the next podcast in two weeks the the country might be empty we might have to get international rights (sighs) for this do you know do you know i was over in munich
2: in intersolar as um, as we'll talk about in a minute and um, the vibe and a lot of the discussions with the throng of Australians who um, dominated <laughs> the beer halls uh, in Intersolar, or the, the vibe of the conversation was all about the election. And even the international guys were really, really interested in, in what was going on in Australia. And this went right through until I left on Saturday. And of course, when we left on Saturday, um, the election was yet to be held. And so we're on the plane madly trying to stay awake and trying to keep track of the election we're all in this really positive vibe going yeah you know everyone's saying labor's going to get all these great renewables policies up and and about halfway between abu Dhabi and australia the reality hit us that it wasn't going our way and uh, i honestly just curled up in a ball in my seat ordered a beer and drank that and went to sleep
1: it was quite a depressing second half of the flight look yeah well i was at my son's wedding on the weekend and it was a fantastic weekend just marvelous um um, overlooking the Shoalhaven River, great parties. Um, Sam and um, Marley were, were smart enough to actually bring all the celebrations forward, so by the time the bad news started to seep in, we'd been We've been dancing for about three hours and, 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 and we were all sourced, and when we started seeing the news, we just got more sourced and danced even harder. In fact, I don't think I've been quite so vigorous on the dance floor um, for many years and had a sore back to pay for it a- afterwards. And, it was funny, one of the cast, one of the invitees, he couldn't make it there that night and um, he turned up the next day. He'd been performing in the Sydney Theatre Company hmm. in Captain Hot 10 Roof. Hmm. And he said the performance was just going fantastic. Oh, I oh, read does. about this in a paper, yes, right, in, in, in um In the first half, and then at intermission, everyone went out, got a drink, checked their mobile phones, and he said they came back. And it was like all the energy had been sucked out of the room. Oh my just goodness! It. it was just so completely flat. Everyone was just like you were in your you were you, you were curled up in your in in your <laughs> in the fetal, up, position. In the fetal position on the plane. <laughs> the audience had gone flat in um, in the Sydney Theatre Company, and oh. we're just going absolutely manic on the dance floor down at the Shoalhaven <laughs> River. So oh I don't know, people. Um, it's um look, it's not good. It's not good, and I think um, after the initial shock and the depression that I think hit me, and probably you, and a lot of people in the solar industry, people are now trying to think of a way forward. But, jeez, it's, um, it's a little bit bleak.
2: It is, and, I, I, and I've and i been thinking about this a lot, actually. You know, obviously chatting with lots of people about it, and there's, there's two perspectives I've got on it, Giles. Firstly, you know, actually, like a lot of people, I think you go... What on earth happened? What what compelled people to vote that way, for goodness sake? And in chatting with my, my good wife, actually, I realised that, you know, what was driving me to vote was the issues that were core to me, mm. right? Oh, that was what was motivating my vote. I was really interested in the renewables and the energy policy and the EVs and, you know, um, this forward-thinking progressive um, issues. And that was what was driving my vote. And when I stopped and thought about it, you can understand why... Someone who works in a in an in an iron ore facility, or someone who works in a coal plant, was doing exactly the same thing as me. They were they were looking at the issues that were directly related to them, and so here
1: we are. And that's probably a, a problem with the way these issues were discussed, because it's well and good to say that we're moving in and we're transitioning, but unless we actually explain um how we're going to transition and mm. what jobs there will be for those people affected then mm. um we're just simply those scare campaigns are going to play pretty hard yeah so. and, and
2: and people are, are quite right and i had a good interview where they talked about you know labor's policies as being too forward thinking and and too progressive and just too far a leap from the fact that i've got to get my mum to hospital and I don't know how I'm going to pay for it or I've got to pay a mortgage so I need that job that's paying my salary and you know it's um it's a tough one um but you know um the other side of it um with a couple of days of hindsight is that uh, we may have lost this battle but we've been here before we've been in these trenches before many times and we haven't lost the war Um, renewables are not going to stop. I I do feel a lot of empathy for the large-scale guys. I think this is really going to impact them, and I feel terrible empathy for the EV industry, who have just been dealt a a terrible blow by the attitude of of our new government. Um, But it's not the first time we've been in these trenches, and um, uh, I don't think it changes the simple fact that solar makes sense for people on homes, and on businesses. And unless the coalition gets vindictive, um, I think the small-scale
1: industry is going to plough on. I think it is going to plough on. The one unfortunate thing is that we will not have Labor's proposed um, rebates for battery storage, which yep. is a big shame, because I think the big battery shame. storage industry needs a kick along. Yep. And we need more manufacturers here, and the prices coming down, and some thinking also about how we actually value those batteries, because... With battery storage, it's not simply a matter of price. It's also a matter of how you actually recognise what some of the things that they can do.
2: Indeed. And and we're going to miss out on all the network benefits of having that uh, energy management in place and the opportunity
1: for VPP, which is a travesty. Of course, of course. The second thing is that the large-scale solar people, look, they've been hammered blows on all sorts of fronts at the moment. I mean, there's all sorts of funny things going on with um, grid connections and things like that. We just wrote a story about a Darny Renewables... Um, On Tuesday, they've had a 65-megawatt rugby-run solar farm sitting there since last October, basically hasn't come forward. Um, You know, 250,000 solar modules sitting in a paddock doing nothing um, because of their issues. Now, I don't know whether that's self-inflicted or overzealousness from the part of the networks and the operator, I don't know. But if you actually just add all these things together, the marginal loss factors, the network connection issues, the fact that so many people have been asked to put in synchronous condenses the uncertainty about the policy. I just think it's getting in the too hard basket for a lot of people and they're just gonna walk away. Mm. I was at the Queensland Solar Conference or the solar, um, large scale solar thing in Brisbane last um, Thursday, really bizarre and unimpressive speech from the Queensland Energy Minister uh, Paul Lynham and people just saying afterwards, well, if the election goes the wrong way, then we're out of here. We're off to Southeast Asia. That's where the investment's going to go. Indeed. And, and you know, uh, talking to some of the large-scale
2: guys over in uh, in Munich, um, two things that were very profound on that same topic. One of them, you know, literally threw his hands up in the air and said, you know, Queensland's dead to me. These are big developers with a lot of money, a lot of investment to make, and they have just turned around and walked away from Queensland said, too hard. We're not going to play that game. There are other states that want renewables and a making it opening the door to renewables we don't need a state that's you know bashing us Uh, and the other profound thing uh, that he explained to me was that they actually run um, two economic models. Um, this was prior to the election, of course. Uh, one which was based on a change of government uh, to labour policies and one which was uh, a continuation of uh, the coalition policies. And there was an 8% difference in those two models, which represented the difference in risk and in... Um, um, and financing f- costs. Financing costs and everything. 8%. And so these guys now are, are basically going forward with an 8% higher cost in their models than they would have otherwise had with this change.
1: That yeah. is hugely significant because when we talk about the cost of solar plants, as many of our solar experts and solar people out there listening to this, you know, you talk about the cost of modules and inverters and balance of um, system costs and all that sort of things. That ends up being a certain cost, but it's the cost of financing all of that. The fact that it's all upfront costs, you're playing that finance through the life of the plant, and when you've got 8% significantly higher costs, you are talking a serious difference in the money that you need to get back from it. That's That's right. That's bad for solar developers. It's actually bad for the consumers. It's bad for everything. And, look, we've seen in the last couple of days since the coalition did get returned that the futures prices on the wholesale market have jumped 10 I saw 15%. That. Good Lord, so straight that, away. So that adds about another $2 billion to the wholesale costs and passed on to consumers. I mean, geez, I mean, they've hit the jackpot. I mean, if, if the idea is to be really stupid about, you know, energy, just to sort of deny everything and push up prices as high as they can, then they've got three lemons. You know, or is it five lemons? I don't know. It's been a while since I played the pokies, but... Um, me and my mum used to go down to the local trade, tradies club in Canberra and uh, we used to go down at eight o'clock because at eight o'clock is when all the um, dear old ladies used to sit there in the poking machines and then they called, come in for houses, so they'd leave these poking machines all nicely primed and <laughs> we just have a look at them and go, oh, I think that one's ripe for the picking. <laughs> <laughs> Going to get me some lemons. So I was, well, yeah, lemon strawberries, looking you know, nice, any fruit would do. <laughs>
2: Uh, well, yeah. But anyway, is that it? The election wrap? Can oh, we can we, look, can we stop talking about? I think about the it key now?
1: is going to be, and look, we're recording this on the Tuesday. Well, um, we don't know yet who the new energy minister is going to be. If it's going to be Angus Taylor continuing, or even someone else. I mean, somebody even suggested. Um, um, oh God, it's terrible! I just keep on thinking now of his um, his the the name given him on, by his First Dog on the Moon, which I can't read <laughs> in the public forum. <laughs> suffice, to know, suffice to say that his Christian name was given as Jonty. Okay. and the first part of his surname was Smarmy, <laughs> okay, <laughs> John T. Smarmy, and, mm. and the rest of the surname was um, not unlike the French name for a seal. So. <laughs> <Okay>. Good. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I did hear. I did hear. Um, I did hear rumours that Melissa Price is going to be returned as the uh, environment minister. It hasn't been declared yet, of course, but um, you know, geez, couldn't wish for a better environment minister who's just well, been completely absent and is an ex.
1: Um, coal mining lawyer, right? Well, I don't know whether she was coal mining lawyer. She's come from Kalgoorlie. Not much coal around there, but yep. definitely a mining lawyer. A mining lawyer. And if they do right. return Melissa price, then it's basically an FU to it everyone certainly to be interested in the environment. Yeah, so that's, that's just right. going to be tragic. And Look, I think a lot of people are expending a lot of energy trying to think, well, maybe Morrison will come back as a moderate. Maybe he will turn the ship. Mm. There's a couple of people talking about it openly, like Arthur Sinodinos. Um, but I'm not too sure. He's, guy, he's like the nice guy that they roll out when mm. they want to sound nice. Mm. But I think he has absolutely no power influence within the party. The party's still dominated by this hard right faction, by those co- guys up in the coal mining areas in Queensland who got the 14% uplift in votes. Yeah. I mean, they're going to do really stupid things. They're going to they're gonna extend Vale's point. They're going to try and find a way to have a new coal generator in Queensland. It makes no sense at all. It is dumb as, but... That's what they're going to give it a go. Mm-hmm. Anyway, let's try and think of some other things to talk about. Yeah. Um, what else is happening, Nigel? I mean, tell me more about. Tell me more about Munich. Tell me more about the Intersolar conference. And um, I'm just presuming that all the Australian contingent behaved themselves and sat very neatly and <laughs> sat up straight in the Munich bars <laughs>
2: in the beer halls. I think the phrase "and sip cups of tea." I, th- I think the phrase in my best German accent was
1: Oh, those Aussies." <laughs>
2: Which was fairly commonly repeated by by everyone. And there was there was an audible... Almost, there was 60,000 people there, right? Nine halls. I was walking average 10 to 15 kilometres a day around these halls. It was huge. So exciting. But there was literally an audible presence of Australians everywhere you went you couldn't miss them Um, uh, they a lot of the large manufacturers had you know incredibly large booths very well decked out full catering bars and everything else Um, and and a terrible terrible mistake they made was opening those bars at 9am every day with beer on tap um because of course they were just flooded by australians pretty much every day uh, and they'd go through till most of the younger australians not not me uh went through till you know two three four o'clock every morning and then we're uh we're back on the booth ready to go and network again networking <laughs> networking so yeah so um a, a quick wrap for you so nine halls walking walking lots of kilometers um uh, wonderful, wonderful hospitality by everyone in Munich. Munich's a beautiful city, and it was um, it was lovely to get to see just a little bit of it and, and to see the whole thing. Um, impressive is the other word that uh, um, I was left with after a, a, a bit of a lackluster five years of, of PV decline in Europe. Um, it's There was a, a much more vibrant mood um, from everyone I was chatting to who were local in the European market. They were saying the market's coming back to life and things are happening again, and uh, there was clearly um, a fair bit of willingness to spend. Some of those booths were pretty big. Uh, you know, I'm talking multi-story, fully decked out, fully catered, multi-floor, you know, um, meeting rooms. And 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 many of the big ones had 100 or more staff, um, capable of holding three or four hundred people on each booth. So, you know, very very impressive in terms of scale. Um, the overriding theme was, of course, PV. Um, but interestingly, a, a, a mix of features of PV products all the usual stuff but there was a big uh, focus on high efficiency product. Um, There was a lot of uh, manufacturers exhibiting flexible panels which was interesting. We don't really see a lot of that in Australia but they seemed to be every second or third booth had flexible um, panels. And where are they
1: putting those?
2: I think the philosophy is um, they can be attached very easily to lightweight um, structures. They can be glued down um, or or, or literally 3M tape um, just taped to the roof. Um, so very very low loading is the nice thing about them and of course flexible if you've got curved structures or artistic effects and there was a lot of focus I haven't seen so many coloured solar modules for years Um, all sorts of different
1: colours that you can get I hadn't seen coloured solar modules since I went to InterSolar in San Francisco a couple of years ago and probably got into trouble with some of the same people who turned up with you this time around. And I just thought they were just a gimmick and just gone. But yeah, um, really. no,
2: they, they persist. And, and I was surprised. I mean, I think I probably could have counted a dozen booths that had a variety of colours that were available in modules and cells. Um, it wasn't it wasn't a headline, but it was interesting nonetheless. Um, and, of course, all the usual BIPV stuff, lots of racking and big mounting frames and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and then as you move through a couple of halls of stuff of course you then move into the battery halls and and you know battery after battery after box after box after you know just endless endless arrays of battery technology and integration technology and all the hardware that goes along with it lots of integrated systems all sorts of products that we aren't yet seeing here in australia um which was which was really cool to see um some nice technology there um and then of course you move on into the um the ev halls and the ev uh, thing brings me to my third my my my, my second last point which was the overriding theme and that was that there was this really notable connection between or not a connection but an a flow and a theme between the PV and the storage and the EVs. And they, they would all just fitting together like a hand in a glove. You know, all the technologies that we saw, there were all designed or increasingly designed to just work together. Mm. And um, so that was that was really, really exciting. Um, and lastly, the, the coolest thing I saw um, out, of, out of, you know, 60,000 people and all of those booths and everything, the one thing that stuck out for me that, that I hadn't seen before that was really unique was Mitsubishi's vehicle-to-grid charger that they had on display. Um, it's it's um, uh, early days, and I believe it's only available in Japan at the moment, but they had one there uh, with, a, with a Mitsubishi Outlander on, on display, um, with the idea being that you can use the vehicle as a battery. Interesting um, So, stuff. yeah, very cool. Yeah. Very cool. Great trip. Cool. I really recommend um, that everyone, at least once in their life, gets there.
1: And you're going to do a bit of a rundown on the Driven podcast for what you saw on EVs. Is
2: that right? <laughs> I'd love to, mate. Um, that Particularly focused around the EVs and some of the stuff that's happening in the EV industry. And there was a, there was a huge array of, um, well, there wasn't lots of vehicles, but there was a real variety of vehicles, everything from electric skateboards that could do 40 kilometers an hour right through to prime movers uh and there were numerous prime movers and commercial and industrial vehicles there so yeah if we can um if i can cajole cajole you we'll uh we'll maybe do a little wrap in a separate episode we might just do that might just
1: do that okay so what else is going on with um good solar and crap solar where are we starting And good first or crap first yeah
2: let's let's do a quick one on um a quick one on good just to mention that um by the time this goes to where there would have been a launch of a new piece of design software and there's plenty of solar design software out there but this one's a little bit different um the first part of the story the the, organization is called open solar um and they're headquartered in sydney and some of the key people involved are indeed sydney people which is wonderful to see australian tech the goal that these guys have set themselves is how do we make solar better And we've got expertise in this roof mapping and quote creation and all that kind of stuff. And so the goal they set themselves was let's build the simplest, best, most accurate, most quality-driven piece of design software and quoting software we possibly can. And then let's make that free to everybody in the world and indeed that's the launch that they would have done by the time we go to air cool. um, uh, so check it out open solar yeah check it out we'll have a
1: story on one step off, off the grid on that one too now crap solar now um, you've brought back an interview from Munich as well so you weren't just sort of sitting around there and sitting in beer halls and, um, and marking <laughs> yeah, 40 was. kilometre. skateboards no, I was <laughs>
2: No, I did slip one in. Yeah.
1: Slip one in. Yeah. Tell us about it.
2: Yeah, so uh very quick segue. Uh met a wonderful, wonderful gentleman by the name of Sam Vanderhoof. He's an industry uh solar pioneer indeed, more than 40 years in solar, believe it or not. I've known Sam for my whole almost my whole 26 years in solar, terrific guy. And he's involved in the P V uh recycling industry. And in the context of Crap Solar, we thought it'd be great to catch up. Here's an interview with
3: Sam. Hey Nigel and all those out there. Uh, this is Sam Vanderhoof. I'm from a company called RecyclePVSolar.com, and we are a newer entry into the uh, recycling um, development of recycling solar panels. That's what we focus on.
2: That's cool. And and Sam and I were just talking, um, actually, which is what we what made me get the recorder out because. This is a... This is. You described it as the black eye on the PV industry, Sam. Tell me, Tell me, you've been in the industry for how long? Uh, about 40 years at this point. How long? About 40 years. About 40 years in the PV industry, right. So you've seen some stuff, right? Um, tell me why... Tell me what you're seeing. Why is there a need for recycling of PV? Well,
3: what we're seeing, we're seeing aged solar modules. We're seeing lots of them out there that are... You know, we're installed... Uh, 20 years ago that are beginning to fail over time because of just environmental issues. Mm -hmm. Uh, But we're also seeing a big uptake for warranty issues, diode problems, failures, weather-related issues, electrical problems, uh, shipping problems, uh, damage during installation. That's the first thing we're seeing, but we're also seeing early-life failures based especially on weather, usually high winds and uh, hailstones and snow. And we're seeing the uptake of that because of the installed capacity is multiplying year by year at an incredible rate. The problem comes in when there's really not a great um, uh, dedicated effort worldwide to be able to handle that waste. So what we're seeing today is about 90% of that waste is going into landfills. And what we're hoping and our goal is to keep, you know, green solar panels that we spend a lot of time uh, developing to make them green, to keep them out of the the waste stream and out of of, uh, landfills.
2: That that is um, game-changing to hear, mate, because I know this is a big topic in Australia. I know you guys uh, are aware of crap solar and are seeing a lot of what's going on and there's not a day goes by... um, Back home, when we we don't become aware of you know early life failures, particularly cheap, a lot of the cheap, crappier solar panels seem to find their way down to Australia. What's what's the biggest problem that you're seeing? Is it is it Age-related stuff, where simply they've just come to an end of life, or or is it literally just poor quality build, or, or as you say, you you talked
3: before about weather-related damage as well. What's the number one cause that you're seeing? Okay. Weather and fire uh, account for about sixty percent of the problems. Wow. Weather and fire. Wow. So those are big issues. Yep. And the other big part of that is is installation issues, right? Uh, along with even the damage of of shipping the modules. Forklift problems, dropping off a truck, all that kind of stuff with these damaged modules. And in a travesty that there's not a good um, conscious effort of what to do with this waste once it happens. So they pile up that is a travesty and
2: and so tell me wh-
3: wh- where's the pv industry at with
2: this at the moment are, th- are the pv industry engaged are they uh, is there a lot of recycling going on are the manufacturers excited and you know getting in on this or 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 not
3: well, be honest uh, we're we're here in europe and and right now at the InterSolar conference in germany um by regulation in europe solar modules and a lot of other products need to be recycled and there's a process for that and there's an incentive program for that it's all structured the rest of the world is still working on those programs so by and large there's not a lot of incentive programs to support the recycling of of solar issues Um, so what we'd like to see is the solar industry step up and and make this happen um, in a positive way and it is a lot of work and it's not a profit center. Yep. The recoverable materials that we can pull out at this point because of the volume we're trying to uh, um, monetize the, the equipment we're trying to use right now, we're, we're working on new processes to lower that cost of those processes. So in order to lower the, 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 the processing costs and pull out enough materials, that's the goal right now and and needing the support of the industry to be able to do that and support that so so how how um
2: how is it working in europe is are there the so there's regulations and these rules that say there has to be a recycling uh, program in place um are are governments subsidizing the cost of those programs to to make it at least cost neutral
3: each country has a little bit of a different spin on it but basically it's about 1 dollar or 1 euro per solar module as an upfront fee in order the importer bringing those into the country so then that's taken to subsidize that recycling process downstream and remember, this has been going on in Europe for 10 years now. So they've worked on the processes and procedures to really bring down the cost to process. So, for instance, in the US, um, it's about $18 for a contractor to recycle a solar panel. We take that solar panel and we transport it, and it, we're lucky to get $3.50 worth of recoverable materials out of it. So there's a delta there that has right. to happen, right. you know? And and that's where we're at today. Wow. So uh, would my assumption be correct then that Europe is really the center of recycling in the world at the moment? Absolutely. Right. By a long shot. Ten years ahead of us. Wow. So. Wow. And remember, yeah. it's not, it's it's policy, it's politics, it's technology, it's yeah. all wrapped it in one. And this is new. Yeah. But the interesting thing I think is that the volume is coming at at so fast. Um, the the module manufacturing, the goal to have cheap modules and cheap module um, installations, um, corners can be cut. <laughs> and the example that I use is that if you take a module that's 20 years old, an old solar module, and you pick it up, you just look at the weight, you don't even put it on a scale, but you pick that panel up and you, you weigh it, you know, an old module that's 50, 60, 70 watts and you pick up a new 300-watt module, they weigh about the same. So something has to give, usually the frames are thinner, the glass is thinner, all that. And it makes it cheaper, but it also makes it a little more, uh, less robust out in the field. And then you also have installation practices, and uh, wind loading issues, trying to deal with the framing, the framing's not as robust, you know, a, a wind that's not quite, should have survived, uh, modules should have survived, don't anymore. Right.
2: We were talking about this the other week, actually, because um, I um, I discovered uh, a, a sh- uh, an offer that was floating around in Australia recently to buy solar panels at the dealer level at 17 cents a watt. And uh, there's there's we've got this real challenge in Australia and indeed in the world where everyone's trying to drive system price down to increase volume and everything else. But of course, that creates another challenge because if you drive the system cost down so low, the ability to extract money for recycling and stuff gets tougher and tougher and tougher what's what's the solution who who, who do we have to beat up to make this happen Sam
3: like many countries and in, in the US states have uh, the recycling policies for uh, things like car batteries things like bottles cans tires those kind of things those programs work um, for instance, in the U.S., if you buy a tire, you're charged, the time you buy a tire for your car, about $3. And that fund goes into an a, a escrow fund that helps support the downstream recycling. When you buy a few tires for your car, you don't even notice that. But at the end of the day, all those tires are being taken care of now and years ago that wasn't the case so we're seeing that just starting to happen with solar panels that now as the volume starts to come up for a while for the last few years you can usually find a home if you've got a bunch of used modules that are good shape you can fi- have a friend that you can give them to they go off grid they go someplace on a caravan rv something but as the volume gets larger as we starting to see now and we see thousands and thousands and thousands of panels come down out of service especially if they're broken glass they have no use so what we're seeing is that usually the aluminum frames are pulled off and the rest of it's being landfilled mm. Mm. so wow so um we've got
2: um a, a one or two companies i think in australia i don't know a lot about it but i am aware of one or two who are trying to get some stuff off the ground i think they're largely dealing with the aluminium part of the recycling and still yet to get enough scale up to deal with the other materials in there um if you were um um if you were sitting down with with our policymakers and you had uh, 30 seconds with them to deal with this issue what advice would you give them
3: I think, again, looking at a, a, a cost to play, an upfront fee to subsidize, it's the first thing. But also, the next thing is, is to work on education and work on the policy, work on the collection. Transportation is ex- and expensive for modules. It costs the same price to ship a broken panel as it does a new panel. Mm-hmm. Same price. Yep. So, being able to, the logistics are really important. Like Australia, like U.S., large you know runs, truck runs are expensive. Yep. So, being able to take the logistics of that and downstream um collection points is really important and the processing points right
2: sam uh it's been wonderful to talk you uh, talk to you and understand a bit more about the recycling um i'm hoping that you might come down and share your wisdom and expertise with some of our people um and thanks for taking the time to talk to us enjoy the rest of the show mate
3: thanks nigel and thanks to all those folks out there in australia let us know if we can help you
2: So that was Sam Vanderhoff from
1: RecyclePV.com. I hope you
2: enjoyed that interview,
1: Giles. Interesting stuff. Um, How far are we advanced in Australia on recycling solar? Because it sounds like a bit of a horror story when you've got solar panels lying around the place in Puerto Rico. Mm. Um, There are issues because some solar um, installations are being taken down from rooftops in Australia. People sell houses. They do renovations. The thing's not working anymore. Mm-hmm. People just don't want them anymore. Mm-hmm. Where are they going? I don't mm-hmm. suspect they're going to a happy place.
2: No, and and yeah, to their credit, there are a couple of organisations trying to get recycling up off the ground in Australia and doing a great job at the moment. As I understand, I haven't spoken to them personally, but but from what I understand at the moment, they're limited to being able to recycle the aluminium frames, and they're they're literally just stacking the the modules or the laminates with the frames removed up in a warehouse until they can get enough scale to get their manufacturing, their recycling optimization up and running. But in Sam's interview, we heard the key point, right? And the key point is this, there is not a lot of material that you can extract to recover the cost when you recycle a solar panel. So there is very little value there. So there are really only two ways that you can get PV recycling to work. Indeed, any type of recycling, it's the same in bottles and glass and everything else out there. Uh, The only way it works is either a levee, on the manufacturing industry so i e go to the get the pv manufacturers to you know pay a little bit extra to cover the cost of recycling or the government mandates it and puts a policy in and to kick the industry off supports it Potentially through a levy on a state basis or a national basis or some other way. So the industry needs a kickstart, and um, that is the thing that our industry needs in Australia. We arguably are going to have, and and in private conversations with Sam, he was very very nervous about what's happening in Australia and the amount of stuff already going into landfill. He is very well connected and is aware of how much garbage is coming down here and there is an increasing problem that we're going to need to address and so those conversations need to be had at high levels and and everyone needs to step up and 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 sam kept making this point that we've got to accept that
1: we have to take responsibility for this yeah absolutely Absolutely um, That's going to be A really key issue too Because um, You know If the wind turns Against um, rooftop solar Then um, that's going to be One of the things Those um, charming tabloids Are going to focus on hmm. And um, anyway What else have we got? Well just to wrap it up One very quick one On EVs um, And this is a bit
2: of a Uh, perhaps a mere culpa for me on 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 my favorite zero motorcycle so listeners would know that i'm a big fan i'm on my second electric motorcycle i've had it for fifty kilometers uh my current bike's uh, five years old and love it to bits um but i i um i'm now able to disclose to you that some months ago sadly the bike broke down um, it was essentially a communications problem between the motor and the controller. Um, that there was a loss of um, there was a loss of communications between the two devices, and they were getting confused, and the motor didn't know what to do. Um, um, Zero uh, uh, don't have any representation except one dealer way up in Queensland, who obviously couldn't really help me with diagnostics. Zero were fantastic in um, dialing up my bike remotely. I sat in my garage with a computer and plugged the bike in, and we did stuff and changed stuff and checked stuff and. Did various tests and they did that direct from the factory with me, which was wonderful. Um, they've it's been dragging on for some months, but um, to their credit, even though I'm a long way past warranty and you know the bike's five years old, they have agreed to replace my motor uh at no cost to me, which is wonderful. Joy oh joy! Joy oh joy. Um, I was you know bitterly disappointed at the thought of you know having to somehow try and fix this myself or buy a motor at great expense and um, they've come to the party i've got to ship it up to queensland to the one and only guy who is sort of technically factory approved who's willing to uh to do the work on their behalf uh small price to pay and i really wanted to just put it out there that you know it's hard being an early adopter but full credit to zero they took a little bit of nudging but they have supported me like so many other of their owners particularly the early adopters this is exactly what we need thank you
1: zero Nice little story. And look, I'm actually flying back up to the Gold Coast tomorrow, so um, I've got extra. Ba- ba- I've got extra <laughs> luggage. <laughs> <laughs> to slip it in. <laughs> just it in I can actually carry two bags or three bags so maybe if you can just sort of dismantle the motorcycle in pieces
0: yeah. put in the oversized thing
1: yeah, and,
2: um, yeah. and off you go yeah no, ba- you have to take the battery as
1: carry-on though right you can't <laughs> put the battery in luggage that's true that's true <laughs> oh dear um, look some interesting stuff um, other EV stories um, coming out with the Usain Bolt um, we've got the Bolt Mobility mod- he's, he's actually invested in a company which is doing a two-wheel, an electric two-wheeler Intriguing. swappable Batteries, intriguing. Um, unleashed in um, in New York this week. So I saw that's that. Fascinating. Yeah. And look, um, just on the on the subject of electric stuff on the Driven podcast um, this week. Um, before Nigel's guest appearance in the following week, we've got an interview with Simon Hackett, the internet entrepreneur and um, chief designer now uh, for Redflow, the uh, zinc bromine batteries. He's an electric vehicle fan. He's had the original Tesla Roadster in Australia, and he's got Tesla. Tesla cars here, there and everywhere and um, what have you but he's also got an electric plane oh, oh I saw he's that he's actually it's his it's his well, well my goodness his is actually an electric glider wow ah. so instead of having a little petrol engine bit like a sort of you know lawnmower on top of the thing just to sort of get it up in the air and from whence they glide down this um, is this is a, this is a um, an electric motor with a battery. And, um, I want to be Simon Hackett. Oh, so I want to be Simon Hackett. I think, but it's just <laughs> yeah. a fascinating story, just about why it works so well and what's good about it. And wow. what comes next? So what comes next? Um, there's another training aircraft at Jandakot Airport in in Perth, which is fully electric. So it wow. just goes up and down, up and down, up and down. Um, re, re, um, swappable batteries. And we're starting to see um, companies, and there's a couple of Australian companies evolved, involved, where we might see commute, regional commuter flights with 10 people, battery. No way. Electric planes. But I can tell you, though, that we're we're running a video with this, and the one disappointing thing with – you know how electric vehicles are really quiet, Mm. apart from road noise? Mm. Well, let me tell you, electric airplanes with propellers are not actually quiet because the damn propeller makes so much noise. Oh, really? Wow. It's disappointing. I just thought, Simon, we've got to fix that. That's your next project. (laughs) (laughs) There was –
2: I I can't wait to do uh, an episode of The Driven with you because I tell you, I could not help thinking of Angus Taylor. I'm walking around the streets of Munich – and blow me down. I'm thinking about Angus Taylor every ten steps because of the amount of EVs and EV infrastructure I was seeing there. It was, it was so evident how distant we are um, walking around the streets of Munich and um, with Angus Taylor on my shoulder going like he
1: has said some of the stupidest things I've ever heard about electric vehicles, yeah. and he remains our energy minister. Mm. That's an interesting way just to sort of leave that thought as yeah. we move on to the next thing. <laughs> Nigel, I think we're going to have to wrap up now. Yeah. Um, it's just been fantastic sort of being here in person with you. Um, A real, real buzz. And um, look, um, chin up everyone as um, as I think someone said in our, our previous podcast. And um, look, thanks to Solar Analytics, our sponsor, and also um, PV Cell from Sunwiz, uh, Warwick Johnson's mob down there. Um, their ongoing support is much appreciated. And... Um, for the EV aficionados, we'll have you on the Driven podcast probably before we get back with the next episode of Solar Insiders. In the meantime, enjoy your little excursion over to the to the far west, yes. and, and then back here another plane and, um, tomorrow. Yeah, we'll catch up in a couple of weeks' time. Good to chat, Joss. Thanks, everyone. Bye bye now.
0: Solar Insiders was brought to you by Solar Analytics, designers and suppliers of smart solar monitoring. Visit SolarAnalytics.com.au. Get empowered and make the most of your home energy. Solar Insiders was also brought to you by SunWiz, the creators of PVcell software, powerful technology for solar sales and design. With free high-definition rooftop imagery in every PVcell plan, retailers can stay ahead of the competition. Visit sunwiz.com.au, Australia's leading solar software.